When installing cable in existing buildings, you come across abandoned cable sooner or later. Does it have to be removed? You'll be surprised how often I get asked that question. What are the benefits and pitfalls of removing abandoned cable? And most importantly, who's going to pay you to remove that abandoned cable? We're going to tackle those tough questions in today's episode. Welcome to the show where we tackle the tough questions submitted by installers, estimators, project managers, IT people, and even the customers. On this show, we connect at the human level so we can connect the world. If you're watching this show on YouTube, would you mind hitting the subscribe button and the bell button to be notified when new content is published? If you're listening to this via podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, or one of the others, would you mind giving us a five-star rating? Doing these two simple things helps us rank in the algorithm so we can help train more people in the ICT industry. And also, don't forget our After Hours live broadcast on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where you can submit your questions to us to be answered live by your favorite RCDD, me on LinkedIn and YouTube live. And if you missed the broadcast, that's okay because they're recorded and for later consumption and placed on our website. Make sure you send your questions to questions at letstalkcabling.com. Speaking of websites, make sure that you visit our website where you will find all of our recorded audio and vlogs and articles. You can even find ways there to help support this channel and subscribe to the newsletter. Now, this platform is free and always will be free, but it does cost money to run it. You can support the channel via Patreon, Amazon links, or even just making donations through the pay, through PayPal. One of the biggest challenges in the ICT industry is what do we do with abandoned cable when we come across it, especially while installing new cables? As I said during the intro, does it really have to be removed? What are the benefits and the pitfalls for removing abandoned cable, and who's going to pay you to remove that work? Let's start off with, does it have to be removed? Now, you don't have to go any further than the NEC codebook to find your answer to this question, because it spells it out pretty simple. Now, before we dive into anything in the codebook, it has to be stated yet again that your authority having jurisdiction has the final say or interpretation of anything that the code book says. So always, always, always check with them first. So in Articles 800.25, 27825, and 725.25, it states, the accessible portion of a banded cable shall be removed. A pretty simple sentence, but part of understanding any sentence is to break it down, and specifically in this sentence, We're going to focus on the words accessible, abandoned, and shall, because they can be misunderstood pretty easily. The first one is accessible. In Article 100, it defines that accessible as capable of being removed without damaging permanent building structure or finish not to be permanently closed in by the support structure or finish of the building, per the 2020 codebook. 
Cables in a drop ceiling are considered to be accessible, where you can easily get to them by just lifting out the tiles. In a solid ceiling, you gotta cut the ceiling to get to those cables, so those typically would be figured as not accessible. Even if they have access doors, which to me, they've never close enough to where the cable's actually placed. If the cable's in some kind of surface mounting latching duct raceway that's designed for easy entry for moves, ads, and changes, well, that would also be considered accessible. Now let's take a look at abandoned. In 800.2, it basically says cables that are not terminated equipment or is not identified for future use with a tag. So the cable has to either have a connector on the end of it or be terminated directly into a piece of equipment. Sometimes we will place cabling in the ceiling for future locations like printers and fax machines or drops for in modular furniture and maybe even wireless access points for or maybe even building automation, some devices that yet's going to be installed. In that scenario, you must put a label on that cable that states for future use. And that label must be rated for that environment and have the ability to last. Don't know how to do that? Make sure you check with our friends over at Brother System. To check with my buddy Todd. He'll definitely be more than happy to help you out with this at challenge. So let's talk about that word shall. Shall is identified as a mandatory rule in the NEC, which means it has to happen. It states in NEC Article 90.5 that mandatory rules of this code are those that identify actions that are specifically, specifically required or prohibited and are characterized by the terms shall or shall not. So shall means you have to do it. Shall not means you cannot do it. So just to recap, the accessible portion of the banding cable shall be removed. It's pretty clear cut that this is going to have to happen. Now you might be wondering, why though? Why do we have to remove a banding cable? A couple years back, I was watching a webcast presented by Cable Installation and Maintenance Magazine, one of my favorite art periodicals that I get to read. By the way, if you're not subscribing to Cable Installation and Maintenance Magazine, why not? It is the easiest way to stay current in codes, standards, installation practices, and new products in our industry. You can obtain a free, yes, I said free, subscription at cablinginstall.com. They have several webcasts monthly where you can watch and learn more about our industry and get your continuing education credits towards your Bixie certification for free. Now, the webcast I was watching about cable tray installation uh, was a couple years back. And during that, during that webinar, the presenter stated that a cable tray that is six feet long 12 inches wide, filled six inches deep, puts off the same BTUs as a gallon of gasoline when both of them are on fire. Now, they cited their source for this information is coming from the National Fire Protection Agency. I consider them experts in fire. Hey, acronym challenge, what is a BTU? If you follow us on LinkedIn, you know that every weekday morning at 8.10, we post an acronym challenge. I'll give a shout out to the first person who answers what a BTU is, and I'll give you extra credit if you can even explain what a BTU means. Are you up for that BTU challenge or that acronym challenge? So back to our subject, back to our discussion. Yes, it is a performance issue. However, it is more importantly, a life safety issue. So abandoned cable 
has to be removed, period. Has to be. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Now, what are the benefits and the pitfalls of removing a banded cable? Well, the benefits are that once you remove that abandoned cable, you reduce the fuel load of stuff that's in the ceiling. So less fuel, less fire. Less fire, people's lives are saved. Sounds like a pretty good thing to me. Also, when you remove abandoned cable, you free up pathway space, for example, like in your J-hooks or your cable tray or your ladder racks. Now, this is also going to help when it comes to supporting the system because if you overload the system, i.e. with abandoned cables in, in your current cables, it could collapse from the unexpected weight of both of those cables. Just for instance, a thousand feet of four pair cable can range anywhere from about 19 pounds to over 40 pounds, depending on which cable that you pick. So the cable has to be removed. Sounds pretty easy, except that it can be pretty difficult. Now you need to be patient and generally you're going to need some help because it takes at minimum of two people to remove a banded cable efficiently, and that helps mitigate the risk of knocking somebody down or knocking a piece of equipment down. When a cable gets installed, it will often wrap itself or wrap around itself and the bundle as well, which makes it pretty difficult to identify cables that are in a group. When you pull the cable, the whole group moves with it. Even the ones that you don't want removed will move with it. So the first step is to cut away any tie wraps or cable securing methods along the length of the cable run. Tech tip number one, make sure that any abandoned cable is disconnected from any termination equipment, cross connects, or any kind of other equipment that it might be attached to. By doing this, you're going to minimize any damage that might result from you cutting the cables. Because if you cut a cable while it is still plugged into the equipment, there's a very good chance that you could actually short out two conductors inside that cable and that could damage the piece of equipment. Now, sometimes you'll be removing one cable at a time and other times you're gonna be removing entire bundles. We'll require you to identify cables to be removed gently by pulling a single abandoned cable at a time while the other technician on the other side identifies the cable that you are moving. Check tip number two. After you identify the cable that's going to be removed, Verify it again one more time. It's better not to cut an active cable than to have to go back and replace that cable by accident. Hey, tech tip number three. If you pull a banded cable out of any fire stop system, make sure you, that you bring that fire stop system back to its original rating, provided you have that same manufacturer and product. If you don't, then you're going to need to replace it with one of your systems. You never mix and match Firestop systems because Firestop systems have to be kept homogenous. One manufacturer, one model. You will end up with scrap cable from this process and debris from that pro removal process. Scrap cable should be recycled. If your company has a process for scrap cable, make sure you follow your company's procedure. And if they don't, then find your local scrap shop and take your cable there and get paid for dropping off that valuable copper. Oh, by the way, don't forget to send a donation to your favorite podcast to help us cover our operating costs. You can also make arrangements with that scrapyard in advance, and they will actually come out to your job site to pick up your cable. They'll even provide you bins for you to put that scrap cable in, and they'll take it off the job site for you. Just remember, though, that they're going to deduct these costs 
from your final payment. And that's going to take a chunk of money out of your pocket. Check tip number four. Make sure you remove all debris from the job site, such as the cut cable ties, uh, other items that you can dispose of at dumpsters at your company's office. Do not dispose of this stuff in your customer's dumpster. Okay, They're paying for their own trash service. You have your own trash service. Put it in your company's trash service at your office. When removing abandoned cables in existing offices, a big challenge you're going to face is getting paid to remove that abandoned cable. Sometimes that cable is left by previous tenants. And then your customer may not want to necessarily pay you to remove something in the ceiling that's not even theirs. Now, this is a code issue, so it has to come out. So make sure to explain that to the customer, that this is a life safety issue. And make sure you go to the life safety, tell them life safety reasons as to why that cable has to be removed. Even still, you may have a customer who refuses to pay to remove that abandoned cable. I've heard of contractors in the past who would remove the scrap cable in exchange for any monies received when they take that scrap cable to the scrapyard. This is a huge risk because you don't know the size or the scope of work that's going to take to start removing this cable. And again, you don't know what's going to impact any phone, data circuits, or equipment or users on the network that you might bring down. Because trust me, you're going to bring something down. Now, with that being said, let's say that the customer agrees to pay you. How do you price that job? You generally don't know how many hours it's going to take you to complete that project. The best way to price removal of scrap cables is to perform that work under time and material, or T&M work, as many people know it by. You basically send a bill for all the hours it took for you to do the work and any materials that you used during that process. This method provides you with the least amount of risk. Unfortunately, though, most customers shy away from TMM work. They fear that either you will not work as fast as you could or that you might bill them for hours that you didn't actually work. Now, I agree that this is unfounded, but it's still a hurdle that you're going to have to cross and you got to deal with this with the customer. Another method that you can use is TNM not to exceed. Very similar to time and materials where you bill for the hours and the materials that you consumed during the process of removing that scrap cable, but you agree with the customer that the cost will not exceed a certain dollar value. Now, you both agree to that dollar value before the work is actually performed. This is a little riskier than the previous method because it gives the customer some sense of reassurance that they are not going to be writing a blank check. There's a a finite amount that's going to cost them. Now, the risk to you is it might take you more hours than it takes to actually do it. Finally, you can actually give them a proposal where you guess at how much labor and materials is going to be required to remove that cable. This is just about as easy as throwing a dart at a board with a bunch of dollar values on it. You're bidding on something, again, that you don't know the size of the project. And this is the riskiest way to price removing cable. Tech tip number five. Ensure that you have all the tools that you're going to need to perform that job, even though you may not think that you're going to need some of these tools. At minimum, you should have a toner, a probe, a continuity tester, a cable certifier, and maybe even a telephone test set like the Tempo TM500. I would also suggest that you have a fiber optic tester and fiber termination tools. 
in this process of removing the abandoned cable, you don't know what you're going to knock down. And it's not a matter of if you knock somebody down. It's a matter of when you knock somebody down when it relates to removing cable. Especially if it's in a cable plant where it's operating structured cable plant. Tech tip number six. Put your best people on this project, not your apprentices. It's going to be tempting to put your least costly labor rate people on this project. But don't do it. When something gets knocked down, when your apprentice may not know how to use that butt set to determine a phone line if it's still coming in from the service provider, or they might not know how to test or terminate that copper cable or that fiber cable. This is going to cause you to dispatch a technician who can perform these functions, and it's going to take them time to get to your job site. And even if they can get there on the same day, trust me, the customer is not going to want to wait for when one of their voice data circuits is not working. They are going to demand and expect that it's restored immediately. I hope this episode has shed some light on abandoned cabling and hope some of the issues that you may have to deal with in educating the customer and removing that cable. Until next time, be safe. That's it for this episode of today's podcast. We hope you were able to learn something. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future content. Also, leave a rating so we can help even more people learn about telecommunications. Until next time, be safe.